Who here already has Christmas presents for their families picked out? Okay, a few people were early. Uh, anybody already have them bought? Wrapped? Okay, very proud of you. That's I'm very proud. At least one person here that is uh, ahead of the game on this one. But for those of us who are still looking for ideas, how about this? You could still give people stuff. But more importantly, become the gift. What do I mean by that? Well, that's what we really want, isn't it? Because gifts are not supposed to be a substitution of our presence and our love for another person. No, they're meant to be a symbol of that love. But they can never substitute it. Who we are to them is way more important than what we give them. And so, over the course of these next four weeks of Advent, we have the opportunity to make ourselves, by the grace of God, a gift worth giving. We have the opportunity to learn to love the people in our lives better than we have up to this point. Because the best gift that you can give your family and your friends best gift that you can give yourself this Christmas, the best gift that you can give to the Lord Almighty is to become that person that God has made you to be, to become more perfectly and more wondrously yourself as God knows that you can be. Because what does your son really want for Christmas? Well, obviously a PS5. But... More, he wants a better dad. What does your husband want for Christmas? Well, actually, incidentally, he also wants a PS5. (laughs) But more than that, he wants a better wife. And that doesn't mean he wants to trade you in for a better model. He wants you to be able to love him better. And what does your wife want? She wants you to be able to love her better. She wants a better husband. We want better children. Children want better parents. Siblings want better siblings. We want better friends. Well, we can give each other that gift this year. right? Too often we think that we are locked into our weaknesses as they are. We think this is the way I am, this is the way I always will be. Nonsense. By the grace of God, we we can continue to improve, to convert more and more into those people that He created us to be. And that is exactly what this Advent season is meant to be about. That's the whole point of the second reading, wasn't it? We read in St. Paul, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we have for you, so as to strengthen your hearts to be blameless in holiness before our God. To not only have love, but to increase in love and abound in it. Too often in our relationships, it's the opposite. At the beginning, there's a lot of love, and then we expect that that's just going to last a lifetime. Well, I hate to break it to you. The first few years, that comes naturally. Then, you've got to ask for the grace of God for it to keep flowing at the same rate. But that's not what God wants. He doesn't want it to just keep flowing at the same rate. He wants our love for one another to increase And to abound. Too often, what we give each other is the dregs of our hearts, right? Just just what we have left over after we've given our love everywhere else. 
God wants us to have such an abundance of love that our hearts are strengthened by it, that we are perfected and blameless in holiness because we have so much love for each other. You may think, okay, Father, that's pretty unrealistic. No, with God, all things are possible. But it takes our effort, and that's what this Advent is all about, to strengthen our hearts, make us blameless in holiness because we have received the love of God, increased, and now have an abundance of love for one another. And how do we do that? By growing in virtue. Okay, you might ask, well, what is virtue? Thankfully, the Catechism of the Catholic Church defines it. It says, a virtue is an habitual and firm disposition to do the good. It follows the person not only, or it allows the person not only to perform good acts, but to give the best of himself. A habitual and firm disposition to do the good. That means that I don't just do good because that's my obligation. I have this checklist of things to do that make me a Christian, so that's what I'm going to do. I don't really like it. I'm not really inclined toward it, but I guess those are the rules, so i got to follow them. No, a virtue is that disposition to where I am turned toward the good. And even when it's difficult, it's something that at the core of my being I want to do. An habitual and firm disposition to do the good allows the person not only to perform good acts, right? Not just checking the boxes, not just doing the stuff, but to give the best of himself. And that's what the people that we love deserve, isn't it? Too often they get the worst of ourselves. They get what's left over after we put on a nice face for everybody else. This Advent, let's turn that around. I mean, not, let's not give strangers the worst of ourselves, but let's give... Everyone the best of ourselves. Dr. Edward Sri, he has a helpful way of putting it. He says, virtues are the skills we need to live our relationships well. To be virtuous in something is to do the good thing consistently, easily, and with joy. The difference between a virtuous person and one who has not developed virtues is the difference between in his prime, Tiger Woods and myself on the golf course. Right? For him, it's almost effortless. He knows exactly what club to use when, knows how to read everything in this situation, all the circumstances, swings, and it's a thing of beauty, thing of joy, a joy even to watch, not just to experience it himself. Me on the golf course is not the same thing. I hate to break it to you. I'm no Father Simon on the links there. He's very good. I'm... Eh. Right? For me, I have to be thinking about every single thing that goes into the swing. I might hit it straight, but most of the time it'll go one of either way. It's something that even though there is some enjoyment in it, it doesn't come consistently and easily and bringing joy in the process. Well, when we look at our Christian life, which of those two do we fall into? Is it something that we have made such a virtuous habit of? That choosing the good is something we're inclined to? Something that comes like a second nature to us? Or is it still this exterior list that I need to follow? This thing that, yeah, cool, I guess I accept it, but man, it just does not bring me joy. Well, if I'm in that latter category, well then thanks be to God for this season of Advent because it gives me a time to develop the virtues that can make me a saint. Virtue makes knowing, choosing, and doing the good second nature. 
And you see, our character, which is what God cares about so much more than our reputation, than our standing, than really anything else. That person that we have become, it's formed by our choices, by our repeated choices. Those repeated choices become either virtue or vice. Because the Christian life, it's not just a to-do list. Entrance into the kingdom of God, it, it is um, contingent less upon the things that we've done and more upon the persons that we've become. But of course, those are interrelated. And so vice is that repeated bad action that has become such a habit for us that it starts to erode our character. It starts to make us a shell of the person God created us to be. Virtue, on the other hand, is those are the habitual dispositions within you that make you more truly, freely, and joyfully yourself. Your true self, the self that God created you to be. That one that you always thought you would be. This was the type of spouse I was going to be. This was the type of parent I was going to be. Oh, this was the type of child, sibling, friend, co-worker. Fill in the blank. But we had dreams of being one way. And then reality got hard. And so we started kind of putting those ideals down a few notches. Until we settled for, I'm just not going to be too bad. It's going to be fine. Well, the Lord dares us to dream high again. So, there's virtue in general, the way God can strengthen our hearts and make us blameless in holiness. But what are we speaking of concretely? How this Advent can we become more virtuous? Well, I'm glad you asked. First, you need to know your goal. So we need to reflect on the specific virtues in which we need to grow to become better spouses, better children, better uh, siblings, better parents, better people. And the best place to start are the cardinal virtues. Right? Cardinal means hinge or pivot point. And so all of the other virtues, they hinge on these four. Does anybody know what four cardinal virtues there are? Temperance, prudence, justice, and fortitude. Ah, This is the first Mass that somebody actually answered. Very proud of you all. Yes, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. There's four of them. How many weeks of Advent do we have? Do you see what I'm doing here? We're going to go through these because they're important. Because God calls us to live virtuous lives, not out of an obligation, but because that's what we were created for. Human flourishing is the virtuous life. Human misery is a life of vice. God doesn't want misery. He wants flourishing for us. And if we're going to be good gifts for each other come Christmas time, we need these virtues. So this first week, we devote to prudence. And prudence, when we hear that Word, we think of either somebody who is so cautious that they never do anything fun, never go on any adventures, right? The prudent man takes no risks. That's our idea of it. Or this shrewdness of like, oh, I know how to make sure I get mine, right? I I know how to make sure that what is mine is mine and what's yours is eventually mine as well. But that's not prudence. No, more than caution or shrewdness, prudence is a practical wisdom that empowers one to be good and to act well in daily affairs, both ordinary and extraordinary. 
It's a practical wisdom. It's knowing what is the good to be achieved in any given situation and the best means by which to achieve that good. It's being able to look with our reason at every single interaction that we have and see within it invitation from the Lord to love in some way and then to be able to choose what the best manner to love in this instance is. It empowers one to be good and to act well. Being good, that's so important, because if the only thing that is good about us is our intentions, that's a sad and sorry sight. Because, you know, the road to hell, as they say, is paved with good intentions. Good intentions only go so far. If you have caused evil, but you say, yeah, but I meant well, sorry, you still caused evil. If we have all the good intentions in the world, but we never act on them, well, then what's that worth? God wants more than our intentions to be good. He wants us to be good. And a good person is able to act well, habitually, naturally, with great joy. And prudence is what allows us to do that. It's that that kind of virtue that allows us to be able to, in a quick manner, know what is good, how to achieve that good, and then have the wherewithal to actually proceed and act on it. It is a very active virtue, not one where you're paralyzed in indecision. Prudence makes you good. The Catechism says prudence is right reason in action, following St. Thomas Aquinas, who is building upon Aristotle there. It is right reason in action. It is using this mind God gave you to be able to know what to do and then actually do it. It's not to be confused with timidity or fear, nor with duplicity or dissimulation, right? It's not this paralyzing indecision of like, I don't want to take any risks, so I'm just going to sit here and distract myself with other stuff rather than doing the stuff of life. I don't want to make the wrong decision, so I'm going to make no decision. No, 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 that is not prudence. Nor is prudence this kind of wiliness, this cleverness that's going to take advantage of other people. No, prudence is knowing the good, knowing how to achieve it, and then doing it. Prudence is, at the end of the day, the answer to those desperate prayers that we have made over the past two years. Right? How many of us seeing all of the chaos surrounding us on the news, in the community, thinking, man, people are on either side of this and that and this other thing. What's the truth? Who to believe? What should I do? We've asked these things, and it's shown that sometimes we don't have the prudence that is that highway by which God can come to our aid and guide us in our decisions. Okay, so what makes up prudence? Right, I've talked about it in the abstract, but what actually is it? Well, it's three things. There are three acts that make up prudence. First, counsel. Conceiving of the end in the various ways Uh, or the various means to attain it, right? To see in a particular situation, in a decision that you have to make, okay, what is the goal that I am trying to seek here? What is God's invitation to me at this moment to pursue a particular good? That's counsel. What are all the means that I have at my disposal? Say, for me, my goal is going for Thanksgiving. I went to my sister's in Albuquerque, right? That was the goal. I had to conceive of that goal, and then I had to conceive of the various means of getting there. Right? I can go through Santa Rosa, or I can go through Vaughn. I'm seeing all the different means. Step two, after counsel comes judgment. 
I see all the means, all the different ways of getting to my end, and I have to choose one. I have to realize there's a lot of construction on I-40. You never know if you're going to be there uh, stuck for a while in between uh, Santa Rosa and Klein's Corners. So I'm not going to go that route. I'm going to go the Vaughn route. And so I judged that. I chose one over the other ones. There are times that that's where we get paralyzed because we think, oh, well, one of them doesn't stand out more clearly than the others. So I don't know. I'm just going to go watch a couple hours of Netflix and take a nap. <laughs> like, but we don't want to choose because we're so scared of choosing the wrong thing. But that's where the third part comes in so importantly. That first you have to counsel. You have to look at the end and all the ways to get there. Then you have to judge. You have to say, okay, one or more of these is going to be better than the others. And so I need to see which one might be the best. And in this part, I need to ask God, God, help me to choose the right one, or at least not to choose the wrong one. And then the third is command, that I actually command myself to take action to do something. I said, I'm going, I'm eating my turkey dinner. I am getting to Albuquerque, and so I'm getting in the car and going. And so I did, and it was a very good dinner. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Counsel, judgment, and command. Those three parts of every good, prudent action, very often we just kind of drift through them. We don't actually look at what is the good that I'm seeking in this. Far too often because there is no good in a particular course of action. And so we don't even want to think about it because it might mean right at the get-go that we say, why am I doing this if there's no good for me to get out of it? If this is no way for me to draw closer to God, then why am I even doing it? But first you see the goal the means to achieving. You judge one means is better than the others, and then you do it. Okay, so what does a prudent person look like? Well, the best description that I heard was slowness in consultation and promptness in execution. This is the person that doesn't just rush into things without thinking about them, but rather invites God from step one to illuminate their mind, to say, okay, God, what is the good in this situation that you are calling me to pursue and what are the ways of reaching it right that right from the beginning makes this a dialogue with the lord and then expands that to be ready and ready and willing to accept and seek counsel from others to realize you're not the smartest person in the world other people might have good input and so you should be able to ask them be able to say you know what i'm thinking about this thing This is my goal. These are the means to to get there. Do you see anything more here? And people can give their input. So you have that certain slowness, that pause button, where you can let the Lord inspire your decisions. But then there's promptness and execution. Once you've done that, to actually do something, to, to actually make a judgment and command oneself to act, that's where we so often get caught up And we don't do anything worth doing. We just kind of drift through our lives because we don't have prudence, which gives us the certain confidence in action, the certain confidence in making a decision and sticking to it. So that's what a prudent person looks like. That's what prudence is. Okay, so how do we grow? How this week can we grow in virtue? Well, it'll be the same model for every week for how we can grow in virtue in general. And that is three things. Study, practice, pray. First, study the virtue. Not just in the abstract, but in the much more uh, palatable and fun way. Study the lives of the saints. 
right? To be able to see prudent people in action, to be able to say, ooh, that's what I want. They were able to, in every situation, see God's invitation for the goal, right? God's invitation for this is how I want you to love here. They were able to see the various means of achieving that goal. They were able to choose one over the other and then go for it and actually do something worthwhile. And so let yourself be inspired by the lives of the saints. If you have trouble in uh, thinking of different saints, finding resources about them, we have a whole online library for you. And if last week you gave us your email address, I'm going to be sending out links to it this week. And so if you didn't get that to us, call up the office. Let us know, because I want every single one of you to have access to everything that we have. Second, actually practice one of the virtues. Actually work on it. Instead of saying, someday I'll be better, say, this week I'll work on it. This week I will work on a particular uh, virtue that I need. For all of us, that can be prudence. And then third, pray. Right? Be a beggar before the Lord and say, God, without you, I will not have virtue. With you, I can be a saint. And I want to be a saint. So give me the virtues I need. Give me, in that confessional, give me forgiveness for where I have been vicious and not virtuous. At this altar, give me your very self so that you can perfect the virtues within me in the Eucharist. But in our daily prayer, to be able to be beggars before the Lord who is the giver of all virtue. Okay, so how do we grow specifically in prudence? And this is the final thing. Does everybody have 10 minutes each day that they can give to the Lord? This is me guilting you. You do have 10 minutes every day that you can give to him. In the morning and in the evening, we're going to split it up, five and five. In the morning, what I want you to do to be able to grow in prudence is first thing in the morning, or at least after you get your coffee, whatever. Five minutes, though, in the morning to pray for prudence. To ask God for that great gift and then to, with him, walk through your schedule for that day. To imagine what the good to be sought in the various encounters is going to be. You can usually think of at least three things that are going to happen to you that day. Meetings that you may have, encounters with a coworker that you really don't like, whatever the case may be. And you can walk through them with the Lord and say, okay, what's our game plan? What is the goal in that encounter? What are the means to achieve it? Okay, and then commit yourself to doing that. Then in the evening, review your day with him, just as you would with any other friend, to be able to sit with him and say, God, this is how my day went, and to choose at least three things, ideally the same three things that in the morning you had planned out with him, and to say, how do we do? To be able to have that honest self-scrutiny that says, I know I'm not perfect, but I know that you're perfecting me, and so how can I work on it with you? We reflect on the day, evaluate at least three of the decisions we made or experiences we had, and whether we acted virtuously. And throughout all of this, we remember that the purpose of you becoming more that which you have been in God's mind for all eternity is you remembering that you're a precious gift, that that is exactly what you've been from all eternity in the mind of God because, and remember this, God doesn't need you. He didn't create you because he was lacking something and he needed you. No, he created you purely as a gift. Freely in love, he created you to be a gift. This Advent and then this Christmas, work with his grace to become the best gift possible.